Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Week and on Fleek. We are covering today <laughs> a pop culture icon of film and of book. It's it's a force. It's a juggernaut. It's a beast. It is the Harry Potter franchise. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. And you probably noticed that I was laughing, which is not uncommon. However, yeah. I can't stop staring at myself because we were having this podcast over a Zoom call and I am wearing a sorting hat and a Gryffindor Snuggie um, that looks like one of their robes. And Richard had his glasses pulled down all the way down on his nose. Yes, I was doing that just for you. Very Dumbledorean of you. Uh, that that's about the extent of the level of dress up I did. I'm sorry. I I have no <laughs> Harry Potter swag. This here. sorting hat too is like cocked to the side. Yeah, like... you're you're looking very jaunty. <laughs> <laughs> so... I wish you guys could see this. And also, one more thing is I have a box of brand new, just opened uh, Birdie Bots Every Flavor Beans, which if you know the books, it's a big deal. And they're right. funny because it's not just regular flavored jelly beans. They have, these are the flavors, earwax, earthworm, dirt, cinnamon, cherry, candy floss, booger, blueberry, black pepper, and banana. Oh, mm, grass, yum. green apple, marshmallow, rotten egg, sausage, lemon, soap, tutti frutti, vomit, and watermelon. So I will be blindly sticking my finger in here and pulling out of every flavor bean. Every time we say the word. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. All right. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be eating a lot of beans. I'm going to be, I'm going to be avoiding the word Dumbledore and you're going to be adding as <laughs> many Dumbledores as you possibly can. So here we go. All right. So perhaps um, before we get started into our weekend on Fleeks, um, prior to the movies, did you read the books? No, I tell you what, I usually in general do not like to like things that everybody else does. And people were gaga over Harry Potter. And so I avoided it like the plague because I'm like, no, I'm not falling off that cliff, that cliff for the rest of the lemmings. And then, uh, it was one summer and I ended up having some time on my hands. I had been really sick and um, the library and it was Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix, which is book five. Mm -hmm. And I read that mug in like three hours. It was crazy, like the fastest reading I've ever done. Yeah. That's not a slim book. I loved that book. And so the very next day went to the library and got the fourth one, Goblet of Fire. Read that super fast. So I read five, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So you see where I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I started with one and I read the seven. Um, and I I watched I watched the movies, but I was more interested in the books and I I took more interest in the books as they were coming out than I did with the films. I did watch all of the movies, um, but until this podcast, uh, I had only watched each movie one time, and I had not watched any of them since I watched them the one time. Which, so, can I just say, that's a little weird. And uh, I had actually, before this podcast, I have started to reread the books which has been um, which has been interesting, and so I've enjoyed that. I also enjoyed watching these movies again. Um, Absolutely, so. both, both things. If you take them separately, because there's always the diehard people who are they go crazy over differences in the movies, and like you just can't do that because there's no way to put the details of a book into a, a film, right? Because um, they don't, just don't have the time, and so you know, like. Treat them like two different things, then you'll be happy with both. Because 
the movies have things that are fun that were not imagined in the book. Yep. <clears throat> so um, we have eight films here. It's, I think this is, no, because Star Wars has nine. So I guess that's the biggest that we've tackled. So we have eight films here covering seven books. Um, and uh, yeah, big, big thing here. So, so there's like, eight films too, because the seventh book was dissected in, into two. Right. And so then we got... Are we going to make mention of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them in its ilk? No, much like we don't like to talk about The Hobbit for Lord of the Rings. Okay. Right. <laughs> that was done. done. <laughs> got it. Okay. Um, so would you like to start or you want me to start with the weeks and the fleeks? What are you going to do? for you to start, Richard. Okay. So, um, hmm, how to explain this without giving too much away. So for me, um, when I first, um, without watching the movies again, when, when I was, when we said we were going to cover these films, I said, okay, I, I think I pretty much know what I'm going to do. It's going to, for me, qualitatively, these go in, um, the, the, later the film gets the better it is for me so for me i was always like the first one's going to be the weakest um which is interesting because uh it has some of the things that i i like but um so i rewatched them and as i rewatched them um i found myself surprisingly saying that the first one was not the weakest for me um and I would have to say that for me, uh, the second one is the weakest. Um, I, if I had to pinpoint the reasoning for that, I think it would be pretty, um, I think the problems that I had with the first movie uh, in some ways persisted with the second and on top of that I felt like um, the second movie had things in it that I did not the, the climactic scene for me felt very anticlimactic the whole big fight with the snake and all of that stuff um, it has it not aged well I think it's part of it and I think part of it also was uh, Daniel Radcliffe, no fault of his own. Um, his fighting with the snake was to me extremely unconvincing. Um, it didn't make sense. Certain actions were done that were done, it seemed more in favor of dramatic or cinematic effect rather than logic. And that irritated me. Um, and I, I just, it, it, it didn't grab me, um, the way that I thought it would. And it narrowly beats out the first one for me. And I think the reason that it is weaker than the first one for me is because of that ending. Um, it felt, uh, it just, it, it didn't, it did not follow logic in the movements of the characters and some of the actions of the characters. And so because of that, I, and the performance in relation to the, the very, at times very bad, not always bad, but at times very bad and very unbelievable CGI um, made it hard for me to enjoy um, what was going on on the screen. Aside from that, I, it, it's, a, it's a Harry Potter movie, so it has certain things in it that are that are universal throughout almost all of the films and um your your main actors uh those trio of, of young people i will say daniel radcliffe's acting uh for me went up a notch or two in this film uh in the first one he seemed rather uh unsure of how to react and deal with all of the the things going on in terms of how he was behaving as an actor um, but I saw a marked improvement in the second one. Um, it has my favorite Dumbledore in it. Um, I yeah. am 
Oh hey. man! Wait, Dumbledore pause. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't even wasn't even thinking about that. Okay. All right, something's about to come. It's green. It has some speckles on it, guys. Any guesses? Oh, please let. I hope know. watermelon for your sake. Your oh. face does not. Oh my gosh! Does not look like watermelon face. <laughs> oh boy! I well, tell what it is. I feel like it's grass, but we're talking about like mowed grass, not like the smoking kind. Gotcha. <laughs> Say no more. Be specific. But um, it looks so, more like booger on the box. So when I when I take and look at Richard Harris, and then I look at Michael Gambon. I'm always going to be in the Richard Harris camp. I will talk yes. about that more as we go on. But this was um, his last film. This was his last away. film. Um, Unfortunately, amazing, amazing actor. I agree with you. Right. Um, and I'll get into my Michael Gambon feelings later. Uh, but so I think that in brief is kind of how I feel about my week. So tell me your week, Katrina. This is not going to be a surprise. It is Chamber of Secrets. And I feel like for most people, it's the weakest story. It's the weakest book. It's the weakest movie. And what's strange about it is when you take things, the whole arc of the entire story of Harry Potter, it's actually very, very important. Very. Because when you delve into it, we've got Voldemort in there. His soul is trapped. Part of his soul Four is trapped in his, in his diary which uh, Jenny Weasley gets into and um, where Voldemort almost succeeds in coming back in the second book right. in the second film. And so this is a very important storyline. It actually comes back in a huge way because in the seventh book slash film, you learn about Horcruxes and the fact that Voldemort's soul is split. Well, actually in the sixth one, Voldemort's soul is split among right. these different objects. And one of the objects they split in is the diary. And so then you're like, oh. And um, maybe that uh, J.K. Rowling is amazing. And she crafted this amazing world. And she probably thought it all out before. But maybe she didn't. And she was even more brilliant and made the second one work even better going back to it. Um, kind of like uh, Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War helped out Age of Ultron. Like Age of Ultron, eh, right. yay. Um, and then Infinity War and Endgame happen and all of a sudden it's like, yay, Ultron, because like all, you know, it explains all these things to us and backstory and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll say that. I will say that the first Harry Potter and the second one are the most Harry Potter-like. Like they contain the magic that is so prevalent in the books. I mean, this just, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny with that. I know it's a magical world, but it's so magically written and the ideas are so magical. They just live. And so in the movie, you have that kind of life. That's right. there. Is the acting weaker? Yes. And I, I think that this movie has the weakest acting of any of the films. Mm -hmm. including the first one. I think there are itty bitties there. I mean, it was, I feel like it was mostly carried by the older people that were around. Right. And they very wisely cast really exceptionally talented actors throughout all of the series uh, to play these older roles. But yes, in the beginning, you know, you've got, when you have actors like Maggie Smith and yes. Richard Harris and Alan Rickman, you know, legends holding up, uh, the dramatic parts of the film. It really helps you. And I would also say, in, in tagging along with what you said, first two uh, movies have to me the most sense of wonder to them. Um, you're supposed to be looking around and going, wow, this is, this is so cool and this is amazing. And then the later films, you begin to, it's an established thing that there are these wondrous and amazing things. All right, so we know they're wonderful. Now let's go on with the story. And kind of, it gets meatier 
I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. Kind of like how it is developmentally when you're in elementary school, everything is just kind of a wonder. Right. And so first, the first and second one, that's elementary school. Third grade immediately like hops up to like eighth grade. Mm -hmm. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so Chamber of Secrets, why it's weaker. The acting definitely is troubling to me. The timing of things like how people's reactions, the storyline, there's, there's like dead time, there's lagging. It's like uh, the pacing is a problem. So right. somebody should have come along and like swept that mess up. Um, I love the world. I love the characters. I love, love, love Alan Rickman as Professor Snape. I love Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I had to say it because I love him so much. Hmm. And I'll talk about Gambon in just a minute. So, all right, it's red. It's got speckles. It could be earthworm. Could be cinnamon, could be cherry. I'm thinking it's earthworm. And it's earthworm. <laughs> <laughs> so we had grass and then we had earthworm. Hey, you're uh, in the same uh, area of nature there. <laughs> um, coming to get me. Um, I loved McGonagall and I typed in my notes. I said, go with God, Crispy. From <laughs> <laughs> from Sister Hat <laughs> when she comes after um oh gosh I just his name just flew out of my brain uh, I don't remember. His, oh my gosh professor holy smokes the defense against the dark arts teacher in chamber of secrets oh um <laughs> now I'm my brain just died okay hold on Kenneth Branagh <laughs> Kenneth Branagh yeah, I know his name. Now I'm thinking of the professor's name, though. And all I can think is, like, I'm going through them all. I'm Professor Lupin, and his is gone. So the producer's going to look it up. Anyway, when she gets him at the end of Chamber of Secrets, she's like, well, you did say you were, you'd already figured out. Oh, the Roy Lockhart. Yes, Lockhart. Oh, my gosh. I'm fired. My producer chimed in on that one. Thank so. you. She gave me the last name and then I got the first. Yes. Okay. So she gets him at the end of Chamber of Secrets and I wrote, go with God, Crispy, because that was her line in Sister Act when she told that other guy off. Um, so. <laughs> oh, the tie-in. Oh, yes, yes. I'm going to edit that part out. So anyway, <laughs> I, love, I love Dobby. This is, we were introduced to Dobby and Dobby yes. becomes such a, an integral and. Heartbreaking. Whole, yeah. Oh, yeah, really. And another one of my favorite side characters ever in Harry Potter, we meet her, Moaning Myrtle. Mm, yes. um, um, and I will have to say, I feel like they made all the bad guys super hot in this film. <laughs> like, uh, what? They, they even just made, like, those are the most ap appealing people in the film. Kenneth Branagh is a handsome fellow. and is, is handsome. Tom Riddle. Textured hair. Tom Riddle. Hello. And even like Malfoy. Lucius. Lucius. Yeah. Yep. Jason Isaacs is a handsome man. Yes. Very handsome. Chiseled face. If you can get past that blonde wig, which is <laughs> him being as handsome as he is, is quite easy to do. Yeah. He's, he's a good looking fella. I feel like I even heard Rowling tell a story about somebody, like a friend telling her, Hey, you know who's who's handsome is is Lucius Malfoy, and she looks at her like, "Are you kidding me? Like, it's Lucius Malfoy. He's a Death yeah. Eater. He's not supposed to be handsome. You're not supposed to think of him as handsome yet." She did, and I do. Um, anyway, I feel like this is one of the stronger ones for makeup and hair as well. Um. Anyway, um, there there is a kind of a weak point, but I I give it a plus actually when Tom Riddle is explaining the plot to Harry Potter while Jenny Weasley is laying there dying, usually that makes me mad when bad guys are telling you the whole plot. Right. It's like Scooby-Doo, the Scooby-Doo effect. Let me tell you how I did it. Um, right. This is possibly the only film that I've ever seen that it does not bother me. Um, but some, some people might consider that a weakness. Um, and I think the actor who played Tom Riddle did a good job of not making it feel like just dry exposition. Yeah. 
Oh, he was totally committed. He was, he was right. well cast. That was a good, that was a good casting choice. Um, and I will say that uh, my extreme dislike of spiders, um, that was agitated in this film and I did not like that one. Yeah. But, um, however, the, the CGI saved me because that, that little uh, CGI blunder uh, does not even compare to uh, Lord of the Rings. We, we got Aragog in this one. Mm -hmm. We have Aragorn. <laughs> People always I knew you were going to make that tie in. <laughs> I was just waiting for the name to, to resonate for you. <laughs> they always right. land on one thing. They always land on Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Star Wars. It always lands on one of those places. Yeah. Possibly Star Trek. Anyway, um, it had spiders in it. So by that alone... <laughs> it gets dinged, huh? We get... Well... There you go. We, we agreed. We agree. On the weakest. All right. So, peak. For me, uh, these movies, um, like I said at the beginning, my initial feeling was um, that as they went on, they got better. And um, minus Chamber of Secrets, for me, Deathly Hallows Part 2 is its best. It's the climax. For me, it's tops. I have a hard time separating Part 1 and Part 2 because they're, um, well, they're from the same book. And so they really are of, of a pair. And when Part 1 ends, um, you know, you, you, you feel more so than any of the others, I think, with the possible exception of book six, because that one really did leave you hanging. But it felt very like incomplete. It feels like, oh man, we are at really chalk in the middle of a story and boy, do I want to get to the rest of it. Because at the I end love, of that one, hmm? Voldemort has the Elder Wand. Right. Which is like- So he has the Elder Wand and yeah, it's, it's a really good tipping off point. All the the actors here are at their A game. Um, Alan Rickman gets to finally have this culminating moment where uh, the layers of his character are pulled away. And um, for me, it's interesting to watch them at, with knowledge that he knew everything about Snape because J.K. Rowling told him who Snape was from the get-go. So he was able to play the character in a way that I think if you rewatch it with that in mind, you're able to see him as an actor making choices um, that inform uh, that part of the character. But I love this movie. I love that Professor McGonagall finally gets to shine. She scares the ever-loving heebie-jeebies out of everybody. Snape has to be like, eh, okay, I'm going to leave. I don't want to fight this gal. Um, so, so I have a little bit of, of trivia for you or just a comment. So apparently the, the writers of the movie said that was supposed to be Harry that drives Snape from the castle. Mm -hmm. um, and Rowling was there and she said, no, let's let McGonagall do it and give her a moment to shine and step into the story, which is very nice. And also, did you notice that when Snape is, going to fight McGonagall and he's whipping himself around to, I don't know, it looks like he's a vampire turning himself into a bat, but he's leaving and right. he goes through the window. Right before he does, he knocks out all of the Death Eaters on his path. So if you're paying attention, it's like, hey, I'm a good guy. Right. You really have to be paying attention because <clears throat> um, you're just caught up in that moment. Right. So like dramatic. But I love that. I love um, I love the performance that we get from our trio. Um, everybody, um, you know, in terms of their acting skill at this point, I feel like a they're very they're very good, and b their characters are being given meaty material to dig into. Um, I feel like um, Voldemort and and his group, you know, just everybody. I feel like you you're you're left satisfied um which you know not as we can point out a number of these not all series can do 
um, uh, an effective wrap-up. Yeah. Not everybody can do an effective wrap-up. But for me, these the story ends very well. And the time jump at the end when the kids are going off and, and you see the older Harry there, um, who, by the way, was the only actor who convinced me that he was older was uh, Daniel Radcliffe. All the rest of them look like, uh, okay, guys, you changed your hair, but that was about it. Um, so, um, powder in your hair look like it's yeah. gray. And um, Denny in particular was like, wow, uh, yeah, the years have been very kind to you, young lady. Uh, so, <laughs> Um, the actor who played Neville Longbottom also, uh, you know, in this film, it's a big moment and you, and you, if you enjoy Neville and, and his part in the, the film, it's not just the films, but the books, uh, it's really great to give him that moment to shine. I mean, just on and on and on. Um, for me, it's, it was a chance for almost everyone involved to, uh, to have their moment with the exception of Dumbledore. Thanks a lot, friend. Okay. You're welcome. I had to say, I'm sorry, but I've, I've given my, right. I've dug you a hole. So it's green. Oh, it might be watermelon. Mm. Oh, for your sake. Mm, yeah, you. it is. Yay, finally. Yeah. That's All good. right. So um, he had his big moment in um, The Half-Blood Prince. And so for much of this, you don't really, I mean, you see little bits and pieces of him here and there. And for me, that worked all to the good. And his brief scene with Harry in the uh, train station of the souls, if you will, um, was, was a nice touch. Um, and Michael Gambon manages to, to do okay. Um, I, but, I agree. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, and we'll get into that in the, the post week and week discussion here. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so for me, that one uh, will always be pops. Takes the taco. Yep. Okay, well, I will concede that tonally, they nailed it. Uh, score, they nailed it. Um, acting, they nailed it. Poignancy with Snape. And all of Snape's scenes, <clears throat> they nailed. Um, I feel, well, however you feel about Michael Gambon, they nailed Dumbledore here. Sorry, pause. <clears throat> oh, oh. <laughs> it's like kind of tannish. I'm, I'm chewing extra loud so you can hear me. <laughs> I can't even tell what that is. Uh, well, oh, marshmallow. That's, that's marshmallow. Uh, it took a minute. Okay, so I feel like they even nailed Dumbledore at the um, train station. I think that was emotionally poignant. Poignant when they were talking about Voldemort, and there was that that like Voldemort, you know, person who's like curled up a little ball like a baby, and he seems so pathetic. It's such like a, I don't know, just a <laughs> a, a symbol of. Satan and like I don't know he's this bad bad guy right but at the end like kind of powerless right powerful but kind of powerless too at the same time and um so anyway they nailed that part I really love Deathly Hallows part two um and all of the films um however I'm gonna give my week my fleekest my on fleek Vote to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, I did not think you were going to go for that one. So I thought there you go. Gonna, I thought you were going to go for Goblet of Fire. Full of surprises. Goblet of Fire is my favorite book. Um, besides Seven, which you have to love because if you love the books, the culmination, you have to love it. But um, right. it's just kind of like a thing. I love the Goblet of Fire as a book. I just read that one again. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite movie, and it has been this whole time. And I think uh, because it's so, 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 so creative, it is so, so, so arty, 
and like as creative of a world as Harry Potter is in general, it is even more so. Just the things that are magical in the books, Alfonso Cuaron takes and, and multiplies and gives significance to. For example, the night bus um, and the uh, just kind of personification of everything. Right. And uh, that awesome scene when he's on the night bus. And then um, uh, the, the Whomping Willow, which has a character in the book, uh, pretty pretty significantly but but in this film it's he uses it for transitions it's just right. genius like time for a seasonal change time to go to the whomping willow you know time for a timing thing time to go to the whomping willow and then the whomping willow comes back in a giant way at the end as the trio finds themselves um in the part where they're about to go uh, meet Sirius and the book is supposed to come to this like boiling point I mean, I keep saying book, the movie, and the Wampy Willow um, attacks Harry and Hermione, and uh, anyway, they end up below the Wamping Willow, and that goes into the Shrieking Shack, and then we find out everything. So anyway, so the whole movie, he's telling you the Wampy Willow is especially important. Right. And then, blah, 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 things happen. Um, that book the monsters book that comes alive right. just perf it was perfectly realized like that's exactly how it was well, in imagination you got it yeah and, um, and i have to agree with you in the extent that like for me the third movie was totally a shift that the rest of the movies followed uh, it stopped being so kitty it stopped being so um um, childlike, if you will, and it was a, it was more geared for the adult, I guess, sensibilities of the the viewer. I also think it um, they they grew up in the third movie, the way they looked, the way they spoke, the way they acted. Uh, for me, was the biggest shift um, of the of the films was watching the was watching number three. Yeah, that's why I said. It went from elementary school to eighth grade. They, they right. skipped sixth and seventh grade. Went straight for eighth grade. Like not quite in high school, but old enough mm -hmm. to know what's up. Um, anyway, yeah. So, um, and they they are just coming into their own. And you can see that. You see it in the clothing, which is kind of different than the book. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was done on purpose. They were in street clothes for a good bit of the film. And just the story itself is so solid with the, the time travel um, arc and what it does. And I mean, in some films, time travel is kind of a throwaway. And um, we've discussed that at length in other podcasts. But um, in this one, the, the time travel thing device is wonderful and you get to see the same things from different perspectives and see why things are and harry realizing that it's not his dad that saves him it's him right so powerful <clears throat> and when you see it on the screen you, it's all of the feels it's like right. coming into your own understanding your own personal power and value and also connection to your heritage, because he thought it was his dad. Right. Um, but then he, he has his dad in him. And he's got all the power of his dad. He's got all the power of all the Jedi. <laughs> Quote, unquote, all the Jedi. Oh. Um, <laughs> let's go so. back to Rise of Skywalker. Um, so anyway, and Expecto Patronum is my favorite spell and all of the books and here it is in full force all over the place in this film um so that is that is a plus for it of course we've got professor lupin who um was portrayed so beautifully and um i just like tonally he he got him he just appears so like um scarred and broken mm -hmm. um but wise 
Yes. Um, and like coming on the scene with some chocolate when something bad happens, like that's a smart man. So, um, anyway, I'm going for uh, Prisoner of Azkaban on fleek, even though it is a slight departure kind of from the rest of the bunch. And you could say, well, you know, why are you going to pick something that's such a departure right. when you love that world so much? But it's just so creative. I have to say it, even though, I mean, I could make an argument for any of these films, probably including Chamber of Secrets for being an on-fleek choice. Well, and all of the ones after it really benefited from that film and what it did tonally, visually, etc. It also has Gary Oldman in it, who legendary and to see him and alan rickman on screen at the same time for me i just got actor pills with that i was like ooh. so um i got a question for you then mm -hmm. gary oldman commissioner gordon or sirius which would you pick like if i had to choose which role he would stay in and yeah get rid of the other one commissioner gordon period yeah me too i got too much love for that batman yeah i agree um, with you I think somebody else could have played Sirius. I mean, I liked him in Sirius. Right. But I think that, that that portrayal was a little bit of a departure from the book. Right. Uh, I think if I, if I had to highlight the ding against um, uh, Azkaban for me, it, uh, the biggest ding is Dumbledore. I'm going to talk about Dumbledore. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I said it twice. I, I said it too, so I got to eat two of them. Oh, boy. I was just going to let you get away with one. Okay, so there's a red one. I'll start with that. Cinnamon. Cinnamon! Cinnamon! Not so bad. Some people really don't like having cinnamon, but That's compared true. to some of the other things going on around there. I... I know, but when you have earthworm, cinnamon is just fine. All right, yeah. so this one's like peachy colored. That's vomit. With some red specks in it? Yeah, that's vomit. No. I'm calling vomit on that one. I should have eaten cinnamon last. But cinnamon is such a strong flavor. It's still in my mouth. Gross. Wait. <laughs> All right. We're going to put an embargo. We're going to pause your uh, every flavor bean consumption while we discuss this particular thing. I'll edit some of this out. <laughs> we're going to drop this name a bunch. So Dumbledore. Um, I have thoughts uh, about Dumbledore, both portrayed by an actor and Dumbledore, period. Um, so Michael Gambon, for me, Tonally was such a massive shift. Um, how he played the character, how he spoke, how he moved. In no way did he even try to um, copy Richard Harris, which I understand. I understand wanting to make the character your own, but I feel like he, and no, I don't feel like, I know because he said it in interviews. Michael Gambon basically said, I didn't have a clue what was going on in Harry Potter. I just went in and said the words and, and all, you know, those kids, oh, such whatever. It was a paycheck is the feeling I got. Why did they and, fire him? Hmm? I feel like whoever was the casting director, the, you know, whoever was conducting the interviews failed on that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I, I think that there, would, there were plenty of other actors out there who would have done a fantastic job as Dumbledore. Shout out to my man, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yes. So you're saying Captain Picard would have made a phenomenal as Dumbledore. Dumbledore. I can't, hold on, phenomenal. I can't. You're gonna have to give me some time here. Yeah, I'm telling you, I would have taken Pat Stew over Gambon eight days of the week. He would eight have been days awesome. of the week. Um, he's just one that, that stands out for me. Uh, I, plus, you're throwing all your Star Wars stuff in here. I got I to gotta represent. 
Um, we, we've had the discussion. We had a discussion for the Lord of the Rings podcast uh, over of a uh, Gandalf versus Dumbledore. Right. And you said uh, and I'm, Gandalf. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig that up again, and I'm gonna say hard Gandalf. And I'm gonna watching say, these films. I'm gonna say hard Dumbledore for which her. is hilarious to me. After watching but these films <laughs> again, my dislike of Dumbledore increased considerably. I it's, don't disagree that Michael Gambon is weaker. And no, when people... No, it's not Michael Gambon. It's Dumbledore. No, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. I Absolutely not, not. See, this is the part where I knew we were going to fight. So, <laughs> I'm ready. Fight, fight, go. So, Dumbledore. <laughs> I let you end first. I'm gonna come at you though. For me, um, the, the the issue that I have with Dumbledore as a character is because both he and Gandalf are secret keepers, and that's something that I don't begrudge them because they both, you know, they have this knowledge. Um, but I feel like with Dumbledore takes it to excess. I feel like the secrets that he keeps oftentimes feel um, harmful rather than helpful. Uh, in particular, uh, I believe it is uh, book number five, sorry, movie number five, um, where uh, he's concerned that uh, Voldemort has infiltrated Harry's consciousness. And so he actively avoids Harry. Um, I think that, that is one of the most phenomenally short-sighted, stupid, reckless, dumb things that he could have possibly done in that situation. Why didn't also, he just go to Harry and say, hey, I think you might have been infiltrated by the Dark Lord, so just so you know, you and I are not going to talk too much. Or why well, doesn't Harry he... ready for that information? Well, Harry was dealing with it anyway. Not with that part with, of it. Not that part. He's dealing with these nightmares and uh, this trauma, and he's, he's seeing the Dark Lord's visions in his head, and he goes to try and talk to Dumble about it. And what does Dumble say? Oh, nothing. I'm going to run from you, Harry. Oh, don't get near me, Harry. Don't talk to me. Okay, hold on. This is part of Harry Potter's trope. Th that has nothing to do with Dumbledore. This is Harry Potter's life. Something bad, traumatic happens, and he is put into a different situation to save him and given no information. This happened when he was a child. His parents were both just killed. He's got the lightning scar. Voldemort's skull, part of it is stuck in him. He gets put with his, his family that do not like him. They don't care about him. They, they, they're scared of him. They uh, are mean to him. He lives under the stairs. He doesn't understand who he is for 11, 10 years. And so that's a Harry Potter trope. Um, well, in book five, he just saw Cedric Diggory killed. He just witnessed the rebirth of Voldemort. And he, again, is taken, put with his family and told nothing. And this is for his protection. Does he know that? No. Is it more, quote unquote, dangerous for him now? Yeah, it is. Because one, Voldemort is still alive. Um, and two, because he's you know, emotionally dealing with Cedric and all those things that you said. Absolutely. Yes. But for protection's sake, that's what happens. And but, maybe, I mean, maybe, and also <laughs> when you alter character to enforce a trope, you harm the character. I think. Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry. What was that? What was that? I couldn't hear you. Um, Star Wars, <clears throat> same thing. What? <laughs> I think that Dumbledore is a deeply flawed individual. And at first, that bothered me a lot. The beginning, when Michael Gambon got there, legit, I was mad. I was like, what is he doing? Richard Harris, fantastic. However, Richard Harris was almost like I mean, like, he was totally, like, lint in his eye, completely wise. And when I picture, like, wise, gum wise Dumbledore, <laughs> wise Dumbledore, <laughs> uh, 
Um, why is Dumbledore? I think Richard Harris. I hear Richard Harris's voice for the most part. However, um, what was I saying? However, Michael Gambon, he does, he does, delivers those one-liners like none other. Uh, do I like all of his acting choices? No, but his, his one-liners are their own point. I will say that. Um, but anyway, what were we talking about before I lost it? <laughs> um, how I was basically saying I choose Gandalf any day of the week. No. <laughs> no, it was a really good point I was about to make. Oh, he's deeply flawed. Dumbledore yes. is deeply flawed. And I feel like that kind of is shown in the movies with the replacement of Dumbledore. It's kind of like a, it just, it shows a little bit of the process that's happening in the books as well. He never is explained completely. Right. And that is part of his character, part of his mystery. In fact, at the end, in book seven, it's like, did I even know Dumbledore at all? This mm -hmm. person that I held in such high esteem and regard and trusted completely, did I know him at all? Right. And like, do we need to, do we need to mourn him as much as we did slash do, you know, is he, is he a good guy basically? Right. And I mean, there were mysteries unlocked. There's mysteries still being unlocked with fantastic beasts. Um, and I think that that just is, makes him just an exceptional character that he's not this one dimensional dude. And like, as amazing as Richard Harris is, I feel like Richard Harris kind of played him one dimensional with the exception of the twinkle in his eye. And like, like as a figure, I love that Dumbledore. However, the character of Dumbledore is flawed. And right. I feel like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of get that with Gambon. And do I pick him over Richard Harris? No, but I'm saying as a character, Dumbledore, um, he is deeply flawed. He has a very interesting history <clears throat> and we never get the complete picture. And I love that about his character. Thank you for not spoon feeding me every tiny little detail, you know, and boring me to death. Let me use my imagination and let me um, think of things on my own. Um, <clears throat> he's a wonderfully written character. Anyway, uh, hard, hard Dumbledore over Gandalf, even though I like Gandalf. But but let me just tell you that everything you said about Dumbledore applies to Gandalf. We don't know all of his stuff. Gandalf is never like... He's not fleshed out. He's never... So he's a mystery. And I like that yeah. we... And, and I agree with you. I agree that both characters, you, the lack of knowing the secret sauce is good. Um, I definitely agree that Dumbledore's flaws are, I think Gandalf's flaws are definitely out there, but Dumbledore's flaws are, are very in your face. Um, and I, and it's not that I, I don't know, for, for me, hmm? What? No. You're never gonna get me to acknowledge that ever. Um, you don't have to acknowledge it for it to be true. I'm just saying. I feel like his character was was in many ways altered to serve the story, and I do wonder if Richard Harris had maintained his health and vigor, how um, if I would if I would perceive the character differently. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. Um, but um, I bet you if Patrick Stewart played him, I'd love him probably <laughs> well, five times more. If Patrick more. Stewart had played Dumbledore, would you be changing your answer right here? Would you be saying, <laughs> would you be I saying doubt Dumbledore it. is better than Gandalf? No, that's too easy. You're just like, oh, yeah, no way. No. But we're talking well, about no, I mean, because then, because then it's my boy Ian versus my boy Patrick. Exactly. That, answer no, the question, no. really, Richard. No, I really, really? No, I would still stick. I still, I would still would stick with Gandalf. I, you I are would. such a liar. <laughs> I still would. Liar. All right. <laughs> Truth hurts. No. Gandalf's my boy. No way. Uh-uh. If Patrick Gandalf's Stewart were boy. playing Dumbledore, you would absolutely be jumping on that island. 
<laughs> I, I will tell you this. If Sean Connery was playing Dumbledore, I still wouldn't jump on the island. <sighs> that you are a lie. You are a lie. You just maintain it. And, and now I'm picturing Sean Connery playing right, Dumbledore and it's true. messing with my head. And so I'm going to take it one honorary bean because we said Dumbledore like 15 times. And it's this weirdly kind of white, bluish. I'm afraid it's soap, but here we go. Yeah, that sounds soapy. Washing my mouth down. And it's soap. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst one of the bunch. All right. Somebody so <laughs> now that I've, I've gotten my Gandalf uh, Dumbledore feelings off my chest. And, and we've exchanged. And wrong yet again. Weak and fleeks. Um, so overall, in synopsis, in summary. Overall. Um, where, how would you rank the Potter films if you had to, um, if you had to rank them, if you had to give them a, um, a butterbeer out of 10 butterbeers, what are you, what are you giving this film series as a whole? I love this world. And even though it is flawed, I'm giving this mug 11 butterbeers, yo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 11 butterbeers out of 10. I think for me, I'm going to give it a solid, a very solid, very high eight. Fine. I I'll drink your other two butterbeers. <laughs> I really enjoy um, these later ones. Um, build on what's come before and they are really, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'd give it a good solid eight. Yeah. Good okay. Series. So I think it this might be the highest ranked series that we have spoken of. True. Aha. I, which is funny because if I had to like rank this, like I don't know, Dark Knight trilogy, we both gave that ten out of ten. Did we? I'm pretty sure we did. Didn't we? Hmm. I did. How about that? I don't remember. We have to go back and check. Yeah. All right. Well, it's one of the highest if it wasn't the highest. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. Which is funny because when I think about it Did and I think rank? about all the series that we've done, I'm not sure where I, where I would put I it. Say that necessarily. Yeah. I don't think but we were I ranking yet. I think we were we didn't start ranking until Lord of the Rings. That's true. Yeah, maybe we didn't rank it. Well, at any rate. Batman 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's um. I would give Batman ten out of ten just for the record. Dark Knight trilogy. Now you know, and knowing half the battle. There you go. Um. Okay. Any other thoughts you want to? I know, on levels of fandom, I am what could be called a casual enjoyer of both the books and the films. Casual. Whereas you are a devout acolyte. So there's no there's no casualness about this world, man. So anyway, we, we will discuss this further in the bonus episode. <laughs> so you should watch, you should watch, you should listen to that yeah, podcast audience. Watch that, definitely. So thank you for tuning in. Yes, thank you. And I, was, I was about to say my favorite spell, Expecto Patronum.